Hey everyone, welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. My name is Ashley and today I have on back a repeat guest all the way back from early 2020, Jack. So it's been quite some time since I've had him on and I'm super excited to have him back. So welcome Jack. Thanks for coming back on the episode and on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a busy couple of years, not just with death raining from the skies, uh, but I actually have a couple of books that I've published in the time since I was last on the podcast. Uh, so I, for, for people who listened to the tarot episode way back in 2020, uh, if you were interested in that and looking for somewhere to start, I actually do have a tarot book that just came out. It's called Tarot for Real Life. And I also have a Kabbalah book that was written about using magical Kabbalah from the perspective of paganism and witchcraft, and that's called Kabbalah for Wiccans, and that's also out. And what we're going to talk about today is Kabbalah. We're going to talk a little bit about what it is, why it's interesting, why it might be relevant to someone who's interested in witchcraft. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for that introduction. Um, I don't know a ton about Kabbalah, so I'm excited to have you on. I do have a copy of your book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, and actually, you know, I do have a second copy of the book, so we can give away a a copy of this to whoever listens to this episode. We'll have a giveaway on that, um, but have more details on that later. I just remembered about that second book I was going to give away. Here we are. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about Kabbalah? You know, I, 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 this is a term that people have probably heard before. Maybe beginners have seen it online. I know there's a couple different spellings of the words. There's different um, meanings in a way of them. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Kabbalah originates in medieval Iberia, uh, modern day Spain. Um, it originates with the sort of Jewish enclave community in medieval Iberia, and it emerges as a form of Jewish mysticism that combines the study of the Torah with astrology, alchemy, and various other occult sciences and influences that were in Southern Europe at the time. There's a lot of Neoplatonic philosophy in it and so on. And Kabbalah comes on the scene as Jewish mysticism. And then the thing that happens almost immediately is that the Christians in medieval Iberia take a look at it and go, ooh, that's sexy. We want that. It's ours now. <laughs> and they appropriated Jewish mysticism and created a Christianized version of it almost as soon as Kabbalah emerged on the scene. Um, and, you know, this was not done in the spirit of open and mutually beneficial sharing between cultures. This was very much a project of you know, appropriating the religious practices of a minority group and incorporating them into the dominant culture as a means of oppressing them. The explicit purpose of Christian Kabbalists was to dilute Jewish religion and mysticism so that the Jewish population would be forced to convert to Christianity. Uh, so there's, there's an ugly history there. But what happens is that through the Christian mysticism, Kabbalah works its way into European occultism more broadly. So you see it in Cornelius Agrippa, uh, who wrote three books of occult philosophy, one of the foundational texts of modern magic. And then progressively, it works its way up uh, into the 19th century, and it becomes a major influence for a lot of the occult secret societies that dominated in European magic uh, in the late 19th century. So things like the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the Society of Inner Light, and so on. Uh, and these secret societies 
adopted a form of Kabbalah that came to them filtered through European occult practice, which in turn was filtered through Christian mysticism, uh, in order to build their systems of magic. Um, and it's, I think, really important as we start any conversation about Kabbalah to note that Jewish Kabbalah is still around, it's still thriving, uh, and it's still very much a thing that exists in Jewish communities. Uh, it's very different from the kind of Kabbalah that you and I are talking about on this episode today. It's very different from the magical Kabbalah that uh, was practiced by things like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And so there's, uh, there's a great deal of variation. You know, Jewish Kabbalah obviously is a body of received wisdom that helps connect the Jewish people to their God. It involves a lot of biblical exegesis and focus on the Torah. Those things are much more absent from the magical Kabbalah of the Golden Dawn. Golden Dawn has a lot more focus on astrology. It connects Kabbalah into tarot uh, and lots of other magical practices. And so even though magical Kabbalah has its roots, if you go back far enough, magical Kabbalah has its roots in Jewish Kabbalah. That's where it originates. Uh, today, they're really not the same thing. And even though we have the same word to describe the two practices, they're really radically different from each other. Uh, and practicing magical Kabbalah doesn't give outsiders any particular insight into or authority about the living practice of Jewish Kabbalah. Okay, you know, cool. Yeah, because I, I, that was a question I was going to ask you is, is I've definitely heard of people talking about cultural appropriation when mentioning Kabbalah. And I knew that there was some sort of difference between the Jewish Kabbalah versus the Kabbalah that is referenced by a lot of magical practitioners. But I wasn't really sure how that wasn't necessarily a form of appropriation. So I appreciate you explaining that it, it's not the same thing as it was. Um, now, what do you say about like, as you mentioned, there are roots, or it, it the roots are from the Jewish Kabbalah, um, and so if you, I would imagine if you go back far enough, you would be like, okay, well, this is how this is connected. Is it that stark difference of how this is related to magic now that makes it not as appropriative? Uh, or I don't, yeah. I don't know if this question makes sense. <laughs> no, I mean, no. This is it's a really good question. It's a really important conversation to have, and unfortunately, there's no one right answer. Uh, so one thing you'll encounter uh, is, you know, Judaism, like any other religion, is not monolithic, and different people in the Jewish community have different feelings about this. There are some Jewish people who say, no, like, anything that even remotely resembles Kabbalah is inappropriate, because Kabbalah comes from these Jewish sources and should be kept that way. There are other Jewish people who say, eh, like, you know, what you're doing is not what we're doing, but, you know go for it, have fun. Um, and different people have different opinions about this thing. And, you know, I, I think that for those of us who are not Jewish uh, as outsiders, the best you can do is sort of listen to Jewish voices and in good faith, try to figure out where the happy medium is and what the appropriate thing is for you to do. There are some people who decide that they don't want to touch Kabbalah at all in their magic. Um, because they're uncomfortable with the history of it. And, you know, the history is there. The history is, at this point, 800 years ago, but that history is bloody and unpleasant. And if you're going to do any kind of magical Kabbalah, you do have to reckon with that. 
that's not the only case in magic or in life where you have to reckon with an unpleasant history, right? I currently am recording this episode sitting in my home on land that was seized from the Lenape people, you know, as, as a white person living in the United States on occupied territory that was brutally and violently taken away from indigenous tribe. Uh, once again, there is a legacy there that has to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, I think there's no one right way to do that as long as you're conscious of what that is. Uh, as far as, you know, is Kabbalah appropriative now? Is Kabbalah appropriate to use as someone who's outside of Judaism? My personal take, which is not the, the only answer, but it's sort of the answer that I have come to for myself, is that there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. I think so much of the history of Western magic is influenced either directly or indirectly by Kabbalistic concepts, uh, Kabbalistic practices. You know, just about any form of magic that emerges from the early 20th century on is influenced in some way by occult secret societies that were using Kabbalistic language and symbolism. And a lot of the time it's not super apparent, you really have to dig for it, but even in Wicca, you know, a lot of things that we do in Wicca uh, are taken from, or at least partly inspired by, Kabbalistic practices. And I personally am of the opinion that the best thing to do, at least for me, is to reckon with that, to be upfront about the complicated legacy of Kabbalah, but to do my best to study Kabbalah understand how it influences my magic and approach it as respectfully as I possibly can. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that um, you've addressed this. Um, you know, I know that this is a big topic in the world of Kabbalah, not necessarily just for your book, but just in general for pre people who do um, involve this in their magical practice. And I, I appreciate that you've, you know, listened to these marginalized voices of people uh, are, are on their views of um, their systems from their backgrounds and that you have done the research and that you are very upfront about this because, you know, there are some people out there that be like, oh, like, whatever, like, whatever you say, like, I don't really care. But you um, do listen to, you know, people who are from a Jewish background. For example, your um, foreword is by Deborah Lip, who self-identifies as Jewish. And, and I really appreciated that you had that in this book. Yeah, so uh, people who are listening to this episode don't know this, but Deborah Lip is my high priestess. Uh, Deborah Lip is a Wiccan author. She is Jewish and Wiccan. Uh, she grew up in Jewish family. She still, you know, practices Judaism today, uh, and she also practices Wicca. And so she actually is really interesting because she studies both. She studies the Jewish Kabbalah um, and she studies Hermetic magical Kabbalah. And I've had so many conversations going back and forth with her about the way that Kabbalah impacts uh, magical practice, the way that Kabbalah and Wicca are and are not related, and the things that it is and is not appropriate for a magical practitioner who does not belong to the Jewish community to do from her perspective when approaching Kabbalah. Uh, and obviously, you know, her voice is only one voice among many, but uh it's a voice that I really value, and I've learned a lot from talking with her uh, just about the way that Kabbalah has changed and grown into this other sort of separate thing. 
for sure, for sure. Well, I think we have definitely covered the topic of culture appropriation, and I appreciate you for this so much for addressing it up front. Um, I think that let's move on to a little bit more about the book or a little bit more about Kabbalah in general. Um, this is actually probably addressed in what you were first talking about when you first came on uh, or started talking about Kabbalah in general, but I know that there are different spellings. So could you tell the listeners what the difference is? Like, which one would you use the K for the Q for the C for um <laughs> And which ones is, because I, I feel like I've spelled Kabbalah so many different ways. And I'm it, first off, if I can spell it correctly, the first couple times I saw the word, I did not spell that correctly. Thank God for autocorrect. But <laughs> um, if for people who are interested in a magical association with Kabbalah, what is the most appropriate spelling for it? Yeah. So the reason there are so many different spellings in English of the word Kabbalah is that Kabbalah is a Hebrew word. And the Hebrew language has a different alphabet than English. So what you see is different attempts to transliterate this word into the Latin alphabet. Um, generally speaking, the convention that I use throughout the book, which is not universal, but is pretty widely used, is that when you're talking about magical Kabbalah, you spell it with a Q. So Q-A-B-A-L-A-H. And that's a spelling that when you see that prop up, uh, that's going to refer to hermetic magical practices like the things that were done by the Golden Dawn. In contrast, uh, a lot of the time people will spell Kabbalah with a K, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, to talk about the Jewish practice of Kabbalah, the Jewish mysticism. Uh, and then there's sort of a third spelling that sometimes gets thrown into the mix, which is with a C, C-A-B-A-L-A, and that, generally speaking, refers to Christian Kabbalah, the Christian appropriation of Kabbalah that happened starting from the mid, late Middle Ages on. Um, and so not everyone follows that spelling convention, but if you're trying to separate out, you know, what is specific to the Jewish practice of Kabbalah, what is specific to the Western magical practice of Kabbalah, um, it helps to have slightly different spellings so that you can know when you're referring to different things. So for my purposes, generally speaking, I'm talking about Kabbalah with a Q. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to stick to the Q. <laughs> That's okay. I'm going to remember that. All right. Um, so with Kabbalah, so is this like, you know, you've mentioned that uh, mo modern practitioners, when they're using it now, they're using it in terms of witchcraft related purposes. Is this like a magical type of religion or is just something that can supplement um, somebody's practice? Like, how would you define this exactly? Like, how does this play into witchcraft and or Wicca or just any pagan type practice at all? Yeah, great question. Um, and the answer is that Kabbalah is a magical system that can be used uh, sort of regardless of what your religious affiliation is or, or the specifics of your magical practice. Uh, Hermetic Magical Kabbalah is a way of organizing and understanding magical information that we have so that you can draw on that for various kinds of meditation or spellcraft or ritual. So the central image of Kabbalah, the thing that you'll find most often if you crack open any book about magical Kabbalah, is an image called the Tree of Life. And the Tree of Life has 10 circles, which are called spheres or sphirot in Hebrew, um, each of which represents a different kind of magical or divine power. So there's this sort of Neoplatonic story of 
the creation of the universe where you have the one at the beginning of everything and the one is undifferentiated and you know just this swirling mass of divine power before anything exists in the world and then through a series of emanations different kinds of divine power sort of pour forth into the universe so from the one you get the two and in the second emanation you have this you know really dynamic forceful energy and then you get a third emanation that constricts and confines that energy and bum 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 and it keeps going until you have 10 different emanations of magical or divine power which result in the creation of the world and each of those different emanations each of those spheres has a particular kind of flavor to it has a particular sort of energy so that if you are performing any kind of ritual or magical practice you can draw on the energy of a particular sphere to help you in what you're doing. And there are a couple of different ways that you can do that. One very classical thing that people will do with Kabbalah is they will sort of meditatively work their way up the tree of life. So they'll meditate on the 10th sphere, which is the one that connects to like the manifest world and the physical reality that you and I inhabit. And then slowly they'll work their way up the tree of life, and then they'll meditate on the ninth sphere, which deals with intuitions and psychism and dreams and mythology. And then they'll meditate on the eighth sphere, which is about intellect and science and the self, and so on. And they'll sort of explore their way all the way up the tree of life. So the tree of life is a magical map, basically, of different kinds of energy that you can access for whatever you want to do with your magic. And that map talks about different types of divine power. It talks about different types of power you can use for spellcraft. It also serves as a map of the universe, sort of magically and metaphorically. It serves as a map of the human soul. So if you want to do introspective, psychological, reflective work, you can use the Tree of Life as a guide to help you understand that. So for example, two of the spheres on the Tree of Life deal with the themes of mercy and severity, respectively, right? If someone has wronged you, do you let it go and forgive them? Or do you demand accountability and you know, punish them? And those are very human psychological things. Those are things that are very important to us. Um, and so generally speaking, you can use that kind of power to build up some kind of a ritual or a spell in order to explore those aspects of your own psychology. If you are kind of a doormat and you let people walk all over you all the time, you may want to do magic to bring some of that more strident energy of severity into your life so that you can stand up for yourself and have a backbone. And conversely, if you find yourself getting into fights all the time and you need to learn how to chill the hell out, you can do some magical work with the sphere of mercy to try to bring yourself back down into a state of calm. So Kabbalah can be used in a whole variety of magical ways. It can be used for personal work. It can be used for sort of concrete spell work. If you need to do a spell to get a house, uh, I had, I'm currently uh, looking for new roommates and I did a Kabbalistic spell to draw new roommates to my house. Uh, you can do very concrete and practical things with it, or you can do the very sort of hoity-toity high magic communion with deity stuff. Uh, so Kabbalah itself is just a system. It's just a way of organizing and understanding certain occult principles. And then what you do with it is entirely up to you. 
So the tree of life, I think, is definitely one of the more popular aspects that people have most likely heard of, even if they haven't heard of the actual phrase Kabbalah itself. Most people have at least heard of the term the tree of life or at least seen the, the photo of it. Um, who might not be realizing like this is part of Kabbalah. Would you, um, or are there any other popular aspects that, of related to Kabbalah that you think people might be familiar with without realizing that it's directly from this? Uh, I was, I was going to say one thing that I, I think of, and I, I don't think this is like one, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly your view on it. I know this is related, but I was thinking of the Golden Dawn and um, their creation of the LBRP. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go. Perfect. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm glad so, I'm on the right track with this. <laughs> so there was a uh, Kabbalistic ritual that was used by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was called the Lesser Ritual of the Pentagram. Uh, there was also a companion to this, the Greater Ritual of the Pentagram. And in both of these rituals, you helped to establish or clear out a sacred space uh, by going to the four cardinal directions, east, south, west, and north using a magical tool to draw a pentagram in the air in front of you, and then drawing upon an elemental power. Um, so you would go to the east and you would draw the pentagram of air. Uh, th that's in the greater pentagram. That's important details that if you ever do these rituals matter, but probably for a podcast doesn't matter quite as much. But you would go to the east and you would draw on the power of air. And then you would go to the south and you would draw on the power of elemental fire. And then you would go to the west and you would draw on the power of elemental water. And you go to the north and you draw on the power of elemental earth. And you could do this to banish negative energies from your space. Or you could do this to invoke the four elements into your space to help draw them in and prepare your space for magic. Um, and this is something that has worked its way into kind of the general magical consciousness. Uh, so if you are Wiccan and you do calling the quarters as part of your general ritual structure, even if you're not Wiccan, a lot of witches will still do some kind of a ritual setup that involves the four elements at the four cardinal directions. And that practice actually goes back to uh, this Kabbalistic rite that was used by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So without getting too much into the weeds of it, because the thing you'll find anytime someone starts talking about Kabbalah is they start listing off correspondences and it gets very confusing and heady and you don't know which way is up. So without doing that, um, the, the ritual of the pentagram draws on the power of the angels of the four quarters, which have Kabbalistic connections to spheres on the tree of life. Um, and they in turn have connections to a choir of angels that's associated with the powers of the four elements. So there's a lot of Kabbalistic symbolism behind this thing that a lot of pagans and witches do. Uh, and even if you didn't know about that Kabbalistic symbolism, it's kind of hiding in the background. So this is a case where, like, if you decide that you want to study Kabbalah, you can kind of dive into it headfirst. And here's a thing for you to latch onto, because here's something you already do that you can explore the Kabbalistic symbolism of, and that helps to orient you. I think a lot of witches in particular can feel very alienated by Kabbalah because Kabbalah looks very ceremonial magic and there are Hebrew names of God and there are angels and archangels and you have to wear a robe of a certain color on a certain day and so on. And it feels very far removed from the practical low magic that a lot of witches like to do. 
but actually Kabbalah can be that practical low magic. And the thing that I like to say to witches is that, you know, it is relevant to what you already do as a magical practitioner. You don't have to change your magic in order to be able to do Kabbalah. All that Kabbalah does is it gives you a different perspective with which to understand the magic that you're already doing. And that, I think, can be really enriching. Yeah, you know, going off of that and and something we talked about a little earlier. So, you know, you're mentioning angels and, you know, Hebrew names of God are they're used. And, you know, you mentioned that you think that this could be beneficial for, for witches and uh, people who are into this type of pagan practice. But what do you what would you say to somebody who maybe doesn't have any you know, gods that they work with, or maybe they're atheists, you know, how would you explain this to somebody who has issues, uh, potentially with the idea of working with angels, for yeah. example? No, this is, this is a really wonderful thing. Um, I don't really work with angels in my Kabbalistic magic, to be honest. Like, you know, I've done the study, I've done some work with angels just to see what it was like, but ultimately that wasn't for me. And I do a lot of Kabbalistic magic, but I generally don't invoke angels or archangels or Hebrew names of God. That's not my kind of magic. Um, you know, there is an approach to Kabbalah where you can link it up with certain pagan deities. You can understand the tree of life as giving expression to the voices of different gods. Um, but you also don't have to. So very importantly, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is kind of the linchpin of all this magical Kabbalah as it comes into the 20th and 21st centuries, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was a magical society and not a religious one. They did not adhere to a particular religious worldview. Uh, and Kabbalah itself, magical Kabbalah, doesn't have a religious view associated with it. Obviously, Jewish Kabbalah does, right? Jewish Kabbalah is Jewish. There's no question about that. But magical Kabbalah is just a way of organizing and understanding different types of magical energy so that you can use them better. Um, and you can do that without having recourse to any kind of deities or angels or anything like that. So if you're an atheist witch, uh, you can just focus on understanding these different kinds of magical energy. Uh, a lot of them have certain kinds of astrological associations. So if you're interested in astrology, you can layer that on top of it. For example, uh, the spheres that are associated with mercy and severity that I talked about earlier have planetary associations. The sphere of mercy is associated with Jupiter. The sphere of severity is associated with Mars. And so that can be something, right, that's not at all religious or theistic. That's just astrology and magic. And you can draw on those connections without needing any kind of religious framework whatsoever. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that um, being able to look at this, not just using like the Hebrew names of gods or working with angels is a is a great thing for people who may be uncomfortable with that. Um, you know, I personally don't really work with angels. Um, but, you know, there there's also a part part where I am open to trying new things. Um, you know, I've told people in the past how I um, I, I've done the LBRP. And at first I was like, you know, I don't know, this feels very different than what I normally do because I'm calling on, you know, angels and I'm using the Hebrew names of God. And, and that was like, this is very different for me. But I was like, you know what, I'm open to trying it. And I tried it. And what do you know, the LBRP is fantastic. It's pretty <laughs> freaking great. It it's, is. it's pretty great. I actually just gave um, 
uh, Azazel and I, we have an outer court together and we just gave our students an assignment uh, or not an assignment, but um, we explained the LBRP to them and we heavily encouraged them to try it out one day. And um, one of our students came back and she was like, oh, I tried it. It was great. And I was just like, see, it's it's, it's awesome. <laughs> like, it's a really good tool to have in your toolbox of just something that you know how to do uh, magically speaking. If you are ever in a situation where you are just feeling a little off or you need to clear space or something. Um, and, you know, I think if I wasn't open to at least trying that, I don't know if I would have been now heavily, not, not heavily promoting it, but been something that, you know, I'm even assigning my OC students to, to know a little bit more about. So, yeah, yeah. no, and it's, um, you know, a thing that I frequently say, I shout it from the rooftops, is that no one needs to know Kabbalah in order to be a good witch or a good magical practitioner. It's not necessary in order to be able to do magic. But my opinion is that if you are open to it, if you take the time to study it, it will only ever enrich what you're doing. It's not going to take away from what you're doing. It's going to give you a new set of tools, a new way to understand magic that can really open some interesting doors for you. Cass, you know, that just reminded me. So at the very beginning of your book, you have a dedication to um, somebody named Alex. And he is um, in my Discord, and he frequently comes on the book club meetings. Um, and, you know, just just causes shit because it's Alex. And I hope he's listening to this because... <laughs> I said what I said. And, um, you know, he, we, we've talked a bit about Kabbalah and about your book and he's constantly saying, he's like, you know, this wasn't really a thing I was like trying to get into, but like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Everything. Like once you start looking into this, like you can't unfind it. And, um, you know, ever since he said that, I've kind of noticed that too. And I'm like, damn, this really is associated with a lot of things that I didn't consider. Um, yeah, yeah no, it's, um, <laughs> Bless Alex. Oh, I love him so much. And he's such a bitch. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's Alex. <laughs> but, but no, he's, he's absolutely right. So Alex, um, I sort of like, I wore him down with the Kabbalah because he really wasn't interested in it at all. Um, and it was so much a part of how I got interested in magic, right? I started my magical journey with reading tarot. I started reading tarot when I was like 11 years old. And then because I was broke and I didn't have money, I wanted to go deeper with tarot, but couldn't really afford a lot of books. So I started reading a lot of uh, sources that were available for free online because they were in the public domain. And that ended up being a lot of things that were documents from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which really helped to define and shape a lot of modern tarot as we understand it. And the Golden Dawn had a deeply Kabbalistic understanding of tarot so in order to understand what they were saying about tarot, I had to go into Kabbalah. And then from Kabbalah, that's how I worked my way into magic more broadly and eventually witchcraft and Wicca. So if it weren't for Kabbalah, I wouldn't be where I am, uh, which is part of why I tend to be such an apologist for it, because uh, having come into witchcraft from Kabbalah first, it's so easy for me to see Kabbalah in all of the things that we do. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that I do in the book is for each of the 10 spheres on the tree of life, I say, okay, here's how this is already present in the kind of ritual stuff that Wiccans, witches, pagans generally do, right? So I talk about, you know, calling the quarters as an example of something that 
has a relationship to Kabbalistic magic. And I also talk about all sorts of other things like taking a magical name or working with a coven for the people who choose to do that and the way that those things can be understood uh, in Kabbalistic terms. And of course, you don't have to understand those in Kabbalistic terms, but it's like, um, I don't know, it's like being able to speak a second language, right? You, you have the ability to understand and describe the same thing in a different way. And that can be really helpful because it forces you to really know what you're doing and, and have a handle on the kind of magic that you're doing and how and why you do it. Yeah. And I, I super appreciate that because, you know, I, I personally don't know a lot about astrology, for example, but I know in the book, um, you have a, an image on there of the tree of life that is mapped out uh, astrologically. And it, it's something we talked about a little, a little uh, earlier in this episode. And, um, you know, for somebody like me who sees the original, well, maybe not me, but like somebody who knows astrology a little better, let's say Tiana from the astrology, Witch podcast <laughs> knows astrology very well. I don't know her experience on Kabbalah, but, um, you know, looking at the tree of life and trying to memorize these names and their definitions when it's it's a very new thing <laughs> to try to understand what these mean and 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 know this but then if i can look at the tree of life in a different light of you know the planets i'm like oh okay like that's something i can understand a little bit better um and that's something i could maybe apply to my practice um so i think that that it's great that you can use that or view this in different lights um to map it out to your current practice yeah, and honestly, anyone who already knows astrology, even if you're not an expert on astrology, but if you have a you know a baseline level of familiarity with the planets and the signs of the zodiac, that makes getting into Kabbalah so much easier because you can always draw on an astrological understanding. And you know, this is a thing that kind of frustrates me about a lot of Kabbalah books is they front load all of the learning the names of things and the correspondences and you know this and that and it's very intellectual it's tables upon tables of information and it's just you know very hard for a beginner very hard for someone who's new to it to come in and intuitively understand the kind of magical energy that's going on here so not to toot my own horn too much but uh one thing that i really <laughs> deliberately wanted to do with this book was to write an introductory Kabbalah book that just talks about the kind of energy that we're dealing with and helps you understand what these types of magical power are, how they're related to each other, and how they manifest. And then like, once you have a grasp on the feeling of the Tree of Life, then we can start to talk about some of the correspondences. But you know, the correspondences are there to supplement the understanding of the tree of life and make it easier for you to understand the tree and not the other way around. And I think that it's very easy for Kabbalah books to focus so much on the correspondences that it becomes an obstacle. It becomes a hindrance to really um, intuitively understanding the magic that's at work there. See, I like that a lot better because, you know, I think you're right. I think people can get it overloaded by the um, academic sort of version of looking at this, but I think if you approach it into, you know, feeling out that energy of, of what is, what, what does the tree of life feel like, like if you can go through it and learning it that way, I think that that is 
I personally like me even hearing that I'm like, oh, okay, I could, I could do that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've tried other ways of learning, uh, ever, like the, you know, everything on the tree of life. And it's a little bit more complicated, I think, doing it that way. But uh, that's just maybe not the best way that I learn personally. Um, you know, you mentioned about uh, how, well, we've talked about how we could, people could do things like they can learn the tree of life, they can do the LBRP. Um, is this something that people can kind of like dabble in as part of their personal practice, would you say? Or is this something that people would get the best results if they kind of like dive right in or you know, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, why not? Dabble. Um, this is like, this is my take on this. And there are some very hardcore Kabbalistic magicians who are like, no, this is a very serious business and you must never merely dabble in it. Um, screw those people. <laughs> no, really and truly. Like, um, it's okay to be a little bit interested in something. It's okay to try something out a little bit and see how it goes for you. And then maybe walk away from it and come back to it. Um, and it's okay if something becomes a part of your practice without becoming all of your practice. Uh, and, you know, I think Kabbalah, because it's presented as a system, as this big, complicated thing where everything connects to everything else, it's very common for people to think that, like, oh, like, if I'm going to do Kabbalah, I have to be really hardcore about it. And no, you don't. You know, like, you may find that if you do a little bit of Kabbalah, you enjoy it and you want to do a little bit more. And over time, you may progressively learn more and more about Kabbalah. But if you want to just do a little bit of it, why not? I think that's totally okay, right? I only do a little bit of herbalism. There are some things with herbs that I really like that really enrich my magical practice, but I don't do a lot with it. I don't know a lot about herbs. I think that as witches, it's okay for us to be a little bit interested in different things um, because this absolutist attitude that you have to do it all or nothing prevents people from exploring experimenting and trying out with things so yeah if you want to just dabble by all means go ahead I, I love that a lot, especially at the, at the end of what you're saying, because I, I, I agree with you. I think that's people think that they have to know everything or that they have to be perfect. And I think that stops a lot of people from even engaging in any sort of magical practice to begin with, um, especially on the Internet. The Internet can be very harsh. And if people ask a question, sometimes they get attacked for it. And it could be something that one person thinks is super basic, but another person has no idea what it is. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that your opinion is that you can just dabble with this. Um, you know, I, I, I think if I were to ever get involved in Kabbalah, I don't know if I would ever dive headfirst into this, as I'm, but I haven't looked enough into it, or at least looked at it with a different lens that you presented earlier, which I may have to do, <laughs> approaching it via the energy. Um, yeah, so I, th I, think that's, I think that's great. I think that's sound advice. Um, and, you know, I agree with you. I think that people should explore different things and, and see what they like. And I think that you don't need to be perfect or know every single thing about the topic to determine if you like it or not. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, oh, no, go ahead. You were going to say oh. something. Oh, no, no, I was going to change the topic. So if you had something else to add, feel free. Nope, that's quite <laughs> all right. Okay, perfect. Um, so a uh, random question on your book cover. I figure we should probably address this. Your book cover has, uh, you know, your title, Kabbalah for Wiccans, and then it, at the bottom is Ceremonial Magic on the Pagan Path. For somebody who doesn't know what ceremonial magic is or high or low magic, could you give a quick in, uh, definition of that? Yeah, definitely. 
so the term ceremonial magic is somewhat loaded, and I'm going to give a definition which is not the only possible definition. You'll hear other ones floating around. Uh, but generally speaking, a lot of the magic that was done by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was much more elaborate than the kinds of magic you commonly see in witchcraft. So it involved a very elaborate and complicated set of magical tools where you would have one tool for each of the four elements, and then you would have special lamps and incense burners and colored robes that were made specifically for one ritual. And you might even have two layers of robes. You would have an outer robe and an inner robe and special sandals and a crown and, you know, a particular thing that you would wear around your neck. Uh, you would perform rituals at a particular time on a particular day. And you might need to use a certain color of chalk or an altar cloth that had a color that corresponded to a particular magical thing. So ceremonial magic uh, involves a lot of ceremony. It, it's the, a kind of magic that tends to be very highly scripted uh, and a little bit more elaborate in terms of the materials and the, the staging of the ritual that goes into the magical practice. Uh, there's a meme that floats around the internet sometimes that's like, you know, oh, my first day as a witch, I must do an elaborate ritual with 13 candles on the night of the full moon at exactly 12.04 a.m. And then it's like, you know, after five years of being a witch, eh, I'm just going to draw a sigil on this toaster strudel. Um, so that that Been first, there. That Been first there. approach. <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't? Um, but that, that first approach of really focusing on timing and tools and sort of a more robust approach to the physical act of doing magic is sort of what gets referred to as ceremonial magic. There's a second way of talking about it that sometimes you'll hear people say, uh, where people will say that ceremonial magic is high magic, meaning that it's focused on bringing yourself into communion with the divine, however you understand that, or unlocking your own higher self or self-improvement, as opposed to so-called low magic, which is magic for practical material ends, like getting a house or finding a lover or things like that. So typically when you hear people using the term ceremonial magic, what they mean is magic that is a little bit more focused on individual actualization as opposed to practical material ends, and magic that's a little bit more focused on elaborate ceremony and ritual. Uh, what it means in the context of the book, and you know, ceremonial magic on the pagan path, is that Kabbalah can be a means for you as a pagan, or if you're not a pagan, as a witch of any stripe. Uh, it can be a means for you to unlock and experiment with uh, both of those different variations of ceremonial magic. So if you want to try something more elaborate for your magic that involves a lot of correspondences and particular ingredients and things like that, Kabbalah can be a way of accessing that. Um, or if you want to explore magic that is more geared towards your higher self, your holy guardian angel, if that's a concept that you work with, uh, deities or anything like that, once again, Kabbalah can be a roadmap to success for that. Kabbalah was a system that was used by a lot of the ceremonial magic orders that were really focused on these things. And so learning Kabbalah can help give you that perspective if you want to do either of those things. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for explaining that. I realized we probably should have talked about that at the beginning. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Time oh, is that's okay. It's fine. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, cool. So we have talked a ton about Kabbalah and um, different aspects and questions related to it. Let, let me ask you, so let's talk a little bit about the book. <laughs> so what are some things that people will find in this book that you wrote that we might not have talked about before, like any exercises or rituals or things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the book includes um, exercises and meditations. Uh, so you'll have uh, a meditation to help you understand each of the different spheres. Uh, you'll have some practical exercises. You'll also have little samplings of ritual. So for each part of the tree of life, I talk about how that relates to uh, magical practice. And specifically, it's geared towards Wiccan ritual. But generally speaking, um, witches, I think non-Wiccan witches as well, will find things in there that are useful and relevant to them. There will just also be some things that are maybe a little bit less relevant because they're more geared towards Wicca. Um, but there are descriptions of like pieces of ritual that are commonly found in witchcraft practice that can be understood in Kabbalistic terms. And like, here's how to approach that from a Kabbalistic point of view. Here's a sample of ritual of a way that you would do this that you could understand in a Kabbalistic way. Um, it also talks a little bit about some of the basic Kabbalistic correspondences. So I, I don't front load the correspondences, but there's a chapter toward the end of the book where I'd say, okay, now that you have a feeling of the Tree of Life, Let's talk about some of the easy correspondences. So astrology, colors, numbers, shapes, that sort of thing. Uh, and then how you can build your own personal understanding of correspondences. So if you have a real strong feeling that amethyst as a crystal has a particular kind of energy, you might decide that for your magic, you want to associate that with a particular sphere. And how might you go about doing that? I also talk about the connections between Kabbalah and tarot. Uh, which is, uh, obviously, I love tarot deeply. That's what my other book is about, uh, and my other episode, for that matter. But tarot, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tarot is very commonly practiced in the witchcraft world. Uh, it's a really easy and accessible form of divination, and a lot of the structure of tarot ends up having Kabbalistic connections that you can explore. So there's a little bit of that as well. Uh, I think... Other than all of that, the main thing, the thing that I'm super proud about with this book and that sets it apart because I haven't seen it in any other Kabbalah book is that I talk about the spheres, not just like one by one on their own, but I talk about them as they relate to each other. So I said earlier, we have these spheres that are associated with like mercy and severity. And those two things don't exist in isolation. They balance each other out. They're part of you know, a duality or a polarity or a partnership. And you can't fully understand one of them without also understanding the other of them because they're connected to each other. So one thing that I talk about as I go through each of the different parts of the tree of life and talk about these various magical energies is not just what they're like on their own, but also how they connect to each other. So you're not just getting a piece by piece picture of the tree of life. You're trying to get a sense of the tree of life as a whole as well. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of really interesting stuff in the book. And when we give away another copy of it um, to one lucky listener, then, um, you know, it'll be cool to see what people have to say about it. And, you know, from what, it, what it's worth, I have heard pretty amazing things from people who have read the book. I've heard uh, really great reviews about it. So um, 
you know, congratulations on your first publication. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And for anyone who is listening to this and who has read or does read the book, um, leave me a review on Amazon. It's such an important way to help authors. Uh, reviews, honest reviews, I like they're not for me. They're, they're for other readers to be able to find the book and get your opinions about the book. Uh, but leaving an Amazon review really is one of the best way to help new readers find a book. So if you like the book, if you read it, by all means, drop me a review. I'd really appreciate it. Yes, yes, please, please, please. Uh, okay, so um, I guess another quick question is, aside from your book, what are some other resources for people who may be interested in Kabbalah? Yeah, great. Um, so there are two other books that are Kabbalah books written for witches. The most famous one is called The Witch's Kabbalah by Ellen Cannon Reed. Uh, and there's also a Chris Pensack book. Uh, I think it's called The Temple of High Witchcraft which talks about Kabbalah and presents Kabbalah specifically for witches. So if you're potentially interested in Kabbalah, you want to explore a little bit more, but you don't want to read these really dusty, dry, ceremonial magic tomes, you want something that's written more for a witchcraft practitioner, uh, those are the two books that I would chiefly recommend. Um, the other book, like the best book on Kabbalah out there, is really dense, really hard to read, also very problematic because it was written almost 100 years ago. Um, it's called The Mystical Kabbalah by Dion Fortune. She was, you know, racist and gender essentialist in some very unpleasant ways and, and homophobic. Uh, and you have to read past all of that. But it remains the best Kabbalah book I have ever read. It's very difficult. That's that like read a different Kabbalah book first to dip your toes into the water. But if you want to keep going after that, read Dion Fortune because it's the best Kabbalah book out there. Um, and Wiser actually has just come out with a new edition of it uh, with a foreword by Judica Illis that talks about sort of how we can contextualize uh, Dion Fortune and find value in the things that she wrote, even though there are some very uncomfortable things that she wrote. Okay. Uh, what about uh, what's your opinion on Modern Magic by Donald Michael Craig? Modern Magic is a phenomenal book. Um, it's not super Kabbalistic. Uh, Modern Magic is designed to introduce uh, any practitioner to the basic principles of ceremonial magic as it was practiced by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. There's a lot of focus on, like, the Lesser Ritual of the Pentagram, for example, um, or the, you know, creating four elemental tools, so an air dagger, a fire wand, a water cup, and an earth pentacle. Uh, and these things come out of Golden Dawn magic and are influenced by a Kabbalistic perspective. But modern magic itself doesn't have a ton of focus on teaching Kabbalah as a magical system. It's more about teaching a certain set of practical magical skills. So it's a great, great book. I totally recommend it. Uh, if you're looking to learn specifically about the Tree of Life, it's not the first thing I'd recommend. Okay. Yeah. I'm mostly asking because I, I read a couple chapters. Like I was, I was working through the book and I remember that there was a mention of Kabbalah in there. They did mention the tree of life, but it was very dense and it was very quick the way that that was, you know, reviewed. I was like, damn, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's because he's yeah. trying to fast forward through the Kabbalah in order to get to the like how-to parts of magic um yeah and which you know it like that's the purpose of his book that's the stuff that he really wants to talk about but if you're looking for a an easy and readable introduction to kabbalah 
it's his work is going to be a harder place to start with that. Yeah. I mean, even I, I know that that book is meant to be worked through like in the literal sense. And at the very end of his chapters, he has um, review questions. (laughs) And I, I, when I was reading the section on the tree of life in his book, I was like, wow, you know, I really feel like I need to make flashcards or something with how quickly he goes over all of this. I mean, he was even talking about um, like chicken cabal at one point. I was like, what is that? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots of interesting things in that book. Um, But okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, thank you so much, Jack, for coming on. I think that we have really gone through the Kabbalah in, you know, the most amazing way, uh, for people who've never heard of this. And, and I really appreciate your time coming on here. Um, I do have a question for you though. Absolutely. So what is one piece of advice that you would give somebody who is a brand new practitioner, maybe has not even cast a circle before or picked up a book yet? doesn't have to be Kabbalah related. Yeah. You know what? In line with the conversation that we had today, I'm going to say, give yourself permission to dabble. It's okay to try something out and not be sure how seriously you want to do it. Just try it and see how you like it. And don't feel like you have to overcommit yourself or you're not a real witch. Just, you know, it's okay. Dabble. Try new things on for size. Love that. I think uh, I think it was an episode I had with Angela Z where she used this phrase "magically promiscuous." Oh, I love um, that. I love it. Yeah, and I, that's like stuck with me. I'm like, I really like that phrase. Just being magically promiscuous. Definitely. All right. Well, okay. So thank you again so much for coming on. How could people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So I am on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, I am not on Instagram because I am not hip with the kids. Uh, My publicist keeps telling me that I need to be, but so far I'm a holdout. Uh, So on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash jackofwands, W-A-N-D-S, like the magical thing that you wave around. Uh, On Twitter, I'm at twitter.com slash at jack underscore of underscore wands. Um, On YouTube, you can just search for Jack Chanik and I'll pop right up. And you can also find me, I have a blog that I run, uh, which is jackofwandstarot.wordpress.com. And I've had that blog for years and years and years, so you can read back through the archives and see all of the embarrassing things that I've written in the past several years. (laughs) Oh, God, that's relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I feel you about the Instagram thing. Um, I... I had a personal Instagram that I think I had like three pictures on and all of my friends would always try to tag me on Instagram and I'd be like, please don't bother. I've never, I don't even know the password for that account, but (laughs) (laughs) I did make an Instagram for the podcast and uh, I use that a lot more frequently than my personal. And in fact, my personal one, I think still has three pictures on it to this day. So, (laughs) Um, but yeah, if anybody's interested in finding me, you can find me on Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. There's also a Facebook like page or a group, I'm sorry, um, called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. I'm on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft, Instagram at <laughs> Seeking Witchcraft, and I also have a Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. Um, but yeah, that's how you find me. That's how you find Jack. And Jack, thank you again so much for coming on. It, it was so great to catch up with you and, and talk with you. It's been such a long time. And, you know, maybe we could talk again soon about your tarot book. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Of course. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'll talk to you again all very soon. Bye.